0: Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined with George Wheatman, VP of Digital Commerce at Arteryx. Thanks for joining me today, George.
1: Yeah, awesome to be here, Charlie.
0: You and I have known each other for, for a long time, and I'm, I'm super excited to chat with you. Um, your background is something that, that was really interesting for me as a kid growing up working in, in action sports. So the way I usually start these episodes is by going back to the beginning. Would you be able to just kind of talk through like how you got into marketing, how it progressed, and, and where you're at today? Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, I, I consider myself super lucky. I, that's the first thing I would say. And, and I'm going to age myself by saying like, considering I feel like I've been in e-commerce for over 20 years. I mean, it makes me feel really old, <laughs> but you know, I, I did a geography degree in, in university, got really geeky into like GIS mapping and yep. then started a map publishing business and, and sort of loved sort of like sales and marketing and kind of all parts of like the kind of entrepreneur experience. And then also quickly learned how hard it is to make a dollar and then um, (laughs) got in early with Mountain Equipment Co-op when they were just starting their e-commerce journey. And Mm -hmm. that was just, I mean, like an amazing kind of learning experience of just like looking at sort of all the enterprise challenges of like e-commerce back in those days, expensive and awkward and, you know, everything, (laughs) everything you can imagine. So, you know, it was, it was sort of such a natural fit for me. Like it it was, I don't think I was ever a great like in-person salesman. And so Combining sales and marketing online it was just great, and yeah, uh, I, I sort of slotted into digital marketing, and you know, one thing one thing led led
0: to another from there. Interesting, and so that led you to where after Mech Quicksilver, or am I missing something?
1: No, it was Quicksilver. After that, it was um yeah, so I, I I managed to land. It took me a few attempts actually to land a work visa to work in the states back then, but um yeah, I was super fortunate to go work um lead digital marketing and then support the overall sort of e-commerce business uh, in North America. Working for for the SVP of global ecom down there, so it was it was Roxy, Quicksilver, and DC Shoes. Yeah. Um, first experience working for like true global brands, and also brands that had you know a lot of marketing clout, and so super exciting to work like alongside the marketing teams. And you know back then there was a lot more tension between the sales channels, and e-commerce was still a total stepchild, and yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of good sort of commercial strategy work going on.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And so then you made the jump from Quicksilver to Arteryx, and that's kind of ha- how we met back in the day.
1: Yeah, I, I remember bumping into you. I, it was probably in some some dark photo booth. And I was like, <laughs> and I, it didn't take me long to figure out that you weren't going to stay in that booth very long. But, um,
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think that's super interesting. Like in, in talking about, you know, e-com and marketing today, I feel like, you know, we always kind of talk about, oh, what's the recent kind of, you know, trend and that sort of thing. You've kind of had this unique perspective when you kind of you know dated yourself by saying you had been in the space for for 20 years. What have you kind of seen change over the years? and what has maybe like stayed the same? Like if you were gonna kind of zoom out and be like, okay, I've worked in this space for 20 years. like here are some things that are that are that are we never thought we'd be doing or here are some things that like I've been doing since day one and, and we still do that today.
1: I think at its highest level, I think if like the, my main executive summary in terms of the biggest learning is I would say, Overall, I think companies have just, they haven't made the big bets fast enough on e-commerce, you know, mm. and it's, it's created a bit of a flywheel effect where it's like, well, we'll try this. We'll see how it goes based on that. It kind of goes a little bit. And, and so I think in, in, there's always sort of this glass ceiling of people like, like back in the day, it was like, well, who's ever going to enter their credit card online. And then it's <laughs> like, well, you know, who, who's ever going to buy off this mobile device. Yeah. And you know, why would it, why would it, why would a company ever need a social media account? you know, these things always, when they start, they always seem so unlikely. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think when you start just following like where consumers go, sometimes I think that the answers get really easy. I think the yeah. number one learning is, I mean, there's an incredible amount of distraction out there in, in mm-hmm. the marketplace constantly. And, um, you know, the fundamentals that drive like the core e-commerce business, surprisingly, haven't really changed that much. They've gotten a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those the fundamentals themselves, like some of them aren't that sexy, but they sure are the most important things. And they're still the most important things, ironically.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's interesting to hear you say that. I think it's no surprise that when we think about marketing or e-commerce, there's no shortage of shiny objects that you can kind of kind of choose from. When you talk about fundamentals, you know, kind of drilling down into the, the title of the episode. What are the kind of fundamentals or core pillars of, of winning e-commerce strategy when you when you think about it?
1: Yeah, so the approach that I've sort of adopted over the years is sort of this three-pronged approach of like what are your like focus on the fundamentals driving the business and we can kind of talk about like the, the few dozen of what those look like those programs and then looking at like what are the points of friction in in your kind of customer journey and being really hyper focused of just clipping those mm-hmm. and then the third thing is like trying to balance all this with like where is there disruption and being like mm-hmm. either kind of having an offensive or defensive strategy with disruption. And then it's a whole game of like sequencing the biggest opportunity. I think if anything, people get distracted. And so, you know, so, so many things you can do in this space lead to some, some type of positive result. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge is more of making sure that like you're not missing out on like chasing the biggest opportunities first. Yeah. And so the, the sequencing part of it, I think, is super important, like based on the maturity of the business and not getting too far ahead of like what's the most obvious thing to come next. I mean, on the fundamental side, I mean, I think it's it's the simple things like site speed, um, UI/UX, you know, site merchandising, you know, CRM and email marketing. Like, I mean, even something as simple as email marketing, you know, it is it is it remains such an important part of of a company's kind of e-commerce program, Mm -hmm. and which is kind of remarkable when you think about how much our own usage of technology has changed over the years. Yeah, but the fundamentals are sort of the programs where. You just really need to get those things running uh, smoothly before you get uh, too far ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting to see. Well, the thing that comes to mind there is how many marketers I've seen, and you've probably seen this as as well. Is the fundamentals aren't sexy, right? They're not the they're not the new thing that you're going to write a headline about or boast about on LinkedIn about how you you're you know doing this crazy you know AR enabled shopping, blah 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 blah. Like the things that move the needles in business, but specifically, I think in, in marketing aren't, aren't that sexy. Would you agree with that?
1: Totally. I totally agree. I mean, the analogy I use for, for like, especially small businesses is sort of the leaky bucket approach, right? It's kind of, a lot of people get distracted by like, for example, getting ahead of themselves, even with, you know, performance marketing, when you've got these gaping holes in your bucket. And it's like, like, at what point does it make sense to start like spending money on water into the bucket versus like fixing the holes. Mm -hmm. And and often it's as simple. I mean, I think if one of the greatest, I think, strengths I bring is more from like, I think a human psychology point of view mm-hmm. is looking at how just the average user, like where they stumble in a guest experience, mm-hmm. I think is, is probably some of the biggest value that e-commerce and digital marketers can bring to a company. Yeah. Because I think if you can put yourself in the shoes of like your average online guest who is, is, is going to jump off your site, you know, with any distraction. It's yeah. like, that's, that's where the kind of the hyper focus needs to be on that guest experience.
0: Yeah, totally. It's funny. Like when I think about, you know, marketing strategy or, or e-commerce strategy, it almost feels like many brands or organizations today are so focused on, um, you know, the, the solution, like the technology solution instead of being, so they're technology centric as opposed to human centric. And it's like the idea of like, you know, human centricity, understanding behavior, psychology, whatever, that actually dictates the type of technology solution that you should be kind of implementing, not the other way around. And it feels like oftentimes marketers are like, oh, this is the shiny new thing. Let's just like slap that on there without actually having an understanding of the behavior and what actually makes sense to reduce friction, that sort of thing.
1: uh, I totally agree. I I think that philosophy also applies just in terms of like, like, um, like talent retention in companies. I think too often companies look at e-commerce teams from the point of view of sort of like technology investment first and people second yeah and at the end of the day it's 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 the people that are running all these programs and and i mean i i've i've been so impressed i mean i i i've regularly worked with people that feel like they're half my age and (laughs) and they are clearly much smarter than i was at at that age yeah like it's awesome like i think it's but but it is i think It's super important for companies not to lose sight of the fact that it is like, yeah, this stuff starts and ends with human beings. Like all this stuff would be so easy if people weren't involved. It's like the moment you introduce people, everything gets really hard. And that's true of e-commerce. It's true of business. It's true of anything.
0: Yeah. That, that makes me think of kind of this overarching macro trend where I think, you know, at least in, in, in e-commerce or business, when you talk, when you hear like machine learning or AI, everyone's like, the humans are going to be replaced. I don't, I don't know, like, sure, maybe down the line, but the way I kind of think about that is sure there's, there's technology and automation and different things that we can create But at the end of the day, you still are going to need a human to drive that, like a smart human to drive that, to understand, to interpret that the technology isn't just going to be able to kind of take it over. And I think, you know, within e-commerce, we're seeing the same thing. Like you still need, yeah, you can have all the shiniest bells and whistles or whatever, but a lot of those experiences that, you know, surprise and delight us and make us want to buy more. Yes, it's technology that's the last kind of touch point, but everything else upstream from that is from a human sitting there thinking, going oh, wow, we noticed this, this, this. Maybe we can create something to address that.
1: Hey, I mean, it's true in marketing that I think we we far too often like spend time sort of thinking about, well, if we can just like kind of rationalize this for the consumer, it'll all be great. When when in reality, like we're all just like bombarded by so many messages every day that like, we're so many of us are just making decisions like kind of using that sort of fast twitch part of the mind. Yeah. And And that's the part that like, I think, Trying to balance those two things, I think is super important. Um, mm-hmm.
0: so, to, so speaking of like that, that brings up an interesting point in my mind or, or something that we should kind of dive into a little further is this idea of we're all bombarded by so many different things. How? How? Like it's it's more competitive than ever before. I think, especially like you know, everyone's talked about digital transformation, using air quotes, and and digital's the future. And you know, uh, digital and e-commerce have have kind of gone from being that that stepchild to be like you know more kind of more focused and in the fray. I feel like in our team's research, we've seen COVID absolutely accelerate that. I'm sure you've probably seen similar to that. How? Like how do you how do you think about that when it comes to the world is getting more and more competitive. Businesses are, are allocating more of their resources to kind of go after the same set of people online, combining that with getting the fundamentals dialed. Like if you were going to think about those different things, like if there's someone listening out there today and maybe they're kind of torn between like, ah, oh, do I try this, this new thing? But like maybe they don't have their fundamentals dialed.
1: Yeah, That's a great question. I think that's like at the heart of where I think the like some of the biggest tension points are. You know, I I love that. I love that quote where like, you know, it's overused, but that idea that like there's no such thing as digital strategy. There's just strategy in a digital world. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so true in a company where like sometimes like companies try to like centralize all their digital strategy into one place, which is which is sort of madness when you think about it. Right. And and when it comes to e-commerce, like a good example of that is like often companies will will sort of like separate like their Amazon strategy from their e-commerce strategy. And it'll be entirely different groups of people sort of. And when, at the end of the day, when you put yourself in the consumer shoes, it's like consumers are just online looking for things and like distracted by things. And, and quite frankly, they don't really care that much. Like at the end of the day, they're like, they're going to care if they're a prime customer, you know, but it's, it's sort of the same. They're looking at it through that, through a different lens. than often I think the way the company kind of looks at how they, how they build, you know, commercial strategies or distribution strategies. So I think what you're talking about is, is so true that like, there's sort of this finite pie. There's like every company has this audience of prospective buyers out there online that are just like, it's like a herd of, uh, you know, sheep. They're, they're just kind of grazing. Yeah. And, and, uh, and coming up with strategies to like, everyone's going after, like there's a lot of competition for the herd. Yeah. And so you've got to be able to stay ahead of that.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So speaking of, there's two things I want to touch on before we kind of go into innovation. The one thing that you kind of brushed on there, touched on there was strategy. And I think like, What's so interesting to me is thinking about, uh, you know, hearing people being like, we need to dial in our strategy and thinking that strategy is like an end game. Like as soon as we get all of these magical pieces of marketing into this one document, so we can sit there and give ourselves a pat on the back and, you know, feel good about ourselves. I find that like the best strategy is, is getting it into a place where you're constantly kind of iterating on it. Sure. You kind of have your objectives and whatever, but like What's, what's your take on that? Like, I feel like a lot of people are just focused on getting to this end result, but my whole thing is, I don't think there is an end result.
1: No, it's been super interesting to watch how the philosophy of like agile sprints and just driving agility and like software development, mm-hmm. how that's becoming, that's sort of becoming best practice for just running any kind of business is yeah. that cyclical nature of like, you're never, you're never finished. It's sort of the the classic design process, which is like, it's in constant iteration. Yeah. Um, yeah. The problem is, is that like a lot of companies aren't really set up that way with sort of quarterly, you know, monthly targets. Like there is, there has to be some level of kind of waterfall delivery yeah. on that, yeah. but it does require a bit of a mindset shift. I, like I agree, I think in digital and e-commerce especially, there's very little value in divorcing strategy from execution. Mm-hmm. I think I far too often see a lot of strategic talk that isn't tied to this idea of like design thinking of kind of starting to look at things of like, what are your constraints? because if mm-hmm. you're not kind of like building strategy around some of the constraints you're never going to execute within 12 to 18 months right or, yeah. or shorter yeah and and I think it's that 12 to 18 month execution which is super important yeah. because like everything the options the options of what you're going to do just change every 12 to 18 months so there's no point i mean clearly you, you want to have a north star yeah. right? like you want to be able to set a vision be like Get a whole bunch of talented people heading in the, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, like, yeah, the focus needs to be on like connecting strategy and execution.
0: Completely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think about um, kind of a framework that I've used in the past where it's kind of you have objective at the top, where you're trying to go. So that could be. 12, 18, 24, 36 months out, like we are trying to go there. Then below that, you have your set of strategies, you know, what is the roadmap that we're going to, or what is the kind of destination that we're trying to, how we're going to get there. And then the tactical elements are linked to that being like, these are the specific things that we are going to do and having those all kind of linked together from top to bottom. But it's funny how you can sit there and build that out into a plan, whether it's a document, whatever you want to do. And like, it can change like that.
1: Yeah, it can like change, it can it, like which, it, which is why I think the, the kind of OKR, like, like objective key results kind of format has has become so broadly adopted, like, yeah. like that quarterly, like, what's what are the three most important things we're trying to deliver this quarter? And let's kind of let's get myopically focused on doing that yeah. and then revisiting every quarter. What's what are the next three priorities? Yeah, like that's far more, I think, impactful than trying to lay out like a roadmap for 18 months because it's it's just
0: so fluid. And and there are things, I think that's the other thing, especially with e-commerce and digital, there's so much of it that is also out of your control. Sure. You're trying to, you know, build your own email list, bring people to your site, whatever. But like there are platforms that brands rely on to bring in traffic or do things and things change. And like as much as brands want to be in control of that at the end of the day, you're, you're kind of playing that, you're trying to play that balance of like, ah, we got to have presence on these platforms, whether it's Amazon, Facebook, Google, whatever, versus how are we bringing people into our ecosystem and, and, you know, converting them that way.
1: Completely. Yeah, totally agree.
0: Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit about innovation. This is something that we've done actually a whole episode on um, before and, and kind of how just innovation fitting into marketing or brand strategy. And so what's kind of your view on, on innovation and marketing? Some There's kind of two sides of the fence here. There's some people who are like, innovation is, is amazing. And that's kind of what drive things forward. And usually it's more creative type folks that sit on that side of the fence. They're trying to kind of push things. And then you have other people who kind of sit on the other side of the fence where they're going, yeah, like innovating for the sake of innovating just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Where do you sit?
1: Yeah, it's another great question. I, I mean, My experience has been is that like consumers sort of in every in almost every vertical, like they respond to newness, we've kind of been trained to respond to newness. Yeah. And in this day and age, I mean, there's, there's, you could argue there's too much newness, right? It's hard to keep up to that. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that, and actually, I I think one of the outcomes of COVID to a certain extent is like everyone's slowed down enough to be like, well, maybe I don't need so much, like so much of everything. Yeah. And so it's a little bit I think people's bullshit filters are are have, have become pretty sharpened and so this is where I think innovation like plays a more critical role for every brand like more so than ever before yeah because I think to have any kind of like a long-term runway I think companies are gonna have to put out something that has some type of longevity mm-hmm. and not only that I think something that that in the end they can stand behind to be like look in some way this is making the world a better place you know mm-hmm. like there has to be some narrative there I think because yeah. That's I mean that's that that's generally my point of view because I think consumers are are getting smarter and smarter and and I think that's that's the the best outcome we've had from social media the access to information has yeah. made crowdsourced reviews and just like peer reviews like everything is just like there's far too much information but it's also easy it's easier than ever before to call a spade a spade Yeah and um, so that's where I think innovation is critical for, for companies right now. And it extends like well beyond sort of e-commerce and digital. It's like, what's the central value proposition that like your company is trying to offer? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I mean, honestly, I think COVID has brought that to the surface for every company. Is like, where do they stand on issues? What can they bring to the world? And what does the world need? And where what's that intersection point? You know? Yeah. So I think every company is struggling with that right now.
0: Yeah. What comes to mind for me is almost like it's it's forced the personification of brands. And I think a lot of brands were able to kind of stand back previously and been like, we just, our, our stance is to say nothing. Well, saying nothing is saying something. And, and you know, whether, whether that's COVID or, or with, you know, stuff around racism, stuff around sexism, like you name it, brands have been kind of pulled into the ring, so to speak, to be like, where do you stand on this? And previously they'd be like, we're not a person. We don't, we're just, don't, don't look at us, right? Whereas now they're kind of being forced to, to have an opinion and have a take on things. So I think that's interesting and in how it plays into that.
1: Yeah. So I think if anything, like, I think that definition of innovation has expanded greatly. I think five years ago, innovation was viewed strictly as sort of an engineering kind of like philosophy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it it's actually, I would say it's rooted into kind of every marketing strategy now. Like, I mean, like marketing sort of without some level of authenticity to it is, I mean, it's always been a game of perception, Yeah. but it's harder and harder to play that game without getting kind of like your bluff being called, I think now.
0: Mm Hmm. I I go thinking about that, like applying innovation to a strategic framework. uh, When I was at at Red Bull, we used to kind of have this percentage thing, and maybe it's not a Red Bull thing. I think it just could be like a general marketing thing where it was like, okay, seventy percent of your plan or budget, whatever, is allocated towards like your bread and butter. Twenty percent is like pushing the envelope, maybe a little bit, and then the remaining ten percent is like we're swinging for the fences, home run. This has never been done before. Like, let's see. What do you think about that in terms of kind of like allocating focus or budget or resources, people, like, how does that kind of sit in your mind and when you approach things?
1: I love it. I should go work for Red Bull. That that sounds pretty good.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that's a Red Bull thing. Don't quote, like, I feel like that's probably where I heard it, but I could have read something. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I, I've thought about things in the past, whether it was at Red Bull or Ritzia, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think like fundamentally, I think that, but that's where, that's where brands are being challenged is like, you've got to be able to put I mean, you've got to be able to put actions behind words, both internally and externally. And so when it comes to innovation, it's easy for every company to like to talk about innovation. Yeah. But unless you're actually like funding innovation and trying to retain and acquire talent to drive innovation, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen on its own. And so I think actually having it baked into sort of like that, that, that sort of your budget process or, or the way you think about the business overall, I think is critical. Yeah. Um, like I mean, even an outdoor, for example, I mean, there is so much overlapping competition. I mean, everyone's claims when it comes to like functional attributes of products are almost identical. You know, for a consumer, it's super hard to like to understand like, you know, what's true and what's not. And so it is like the proof is in the kind of the product experience to a large to a larger degree. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's hard, it's hard to kind of fake that, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, everyone's bullshit meter is so high. And if, if they can go out and find all the information that they need and people are talking about your brand and it's all everybody's fingertips, like yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of why you have to, you'll get called out.
1: Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because everyone's bullshit meter is so high and yet we're, we're, we're all like, you could argue that we're actually more likely to be swayed than ever before by, yeah. by sort of like certain things moving quickly, which, which is, which is sort of awesome and also kind of horrifying, you know, but it's, yeah. it, it creates an incredible amount of opportunity out there. Yeah. Um, And, and I think, yeah, I mean, this past year, I think is, you know, it's created pause for everyone in that sense. And um, I was talking to a friend recently about this kind of idea of like the whole concept of like delayed gratification Mm -hmm. is sort of like, I think it's out the window for, for not just like, you know, people in, in my demographic, but I think even younger people are starting to question like, what, like, what am I doing? Like, why, what's the point of, of me working really hard right now where like, how can I really sort of do something that's going to like add real value here, you know, which is I think it's really encouraging. I actually think that's that's probably the tipping point we we kind of need to get to in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think having that that purpose and why, and maybe maybe that's a COVID thing, maybe that's a a digital thing. Like I don't know. I think back to the Cambridge Analytica stuff and the election. That's kind of when we really started to see like the potential of this digital stuff. And you know, I'm a digital guy. I I really think it actually has made my life a net like it's a net positive. At the same time there's a ton of bad shit that's happened because of it. Right. And it makes you, it does make you question things. It does make you kind of wonder, you know, ah, like, am I working on the right thing? Is this, is this ethical? Is this, you know, pushing the world forward in a way that I like, I don't know.
1: Well, I think everyone struggled with like during COVID, like if you've been working from home, you've kind of been spending more time than ever on screens and devices, Yeah. even (laughs) though you've, you've actually had more flexibility in your work schedule. And so there's this like juxtaposition of like, I've never had this much flexibility, but why why do I still feel stressed out? And mm-hmm. it, I mean, a big part of it is probably due to screen time. And I think most people kind of, we sort of halfway recognize it, but there's nothing really we can do about it to a certain mm-hmm. extent.
0: Yeah. Well, and if you think about how much time, like, you know, previously the the regular, you know, average person out there is like, okay, they commute to an office that, yeah, they'd be in front of a screen at an office, but they'd go into the lunchroom, you know, they, yeah. they'd kind they wouldn't be at the screen. And, you know, yeah, there were meetings where it was everyone's around the room and maybe you're looking at a screen on a wall, but it's not like the screen. And then, you know, them being on their phone, scrolling Instagram or TikTok or whatever they're doing, that was kind of their like, oh, okay. Like, you know, they're kicking back and having fun or relaxing. Whereas now it's like, if you're all day on zoom or Google hangout or whatever it is, and then, you know, you're, you're that muscle memory of picking up your phone and then you're like, Oh shit, it's been 12 hours and I've just been on the screen the whole time.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the whole, whole week will go by. I know. So um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so here, here's a, a bit of a different direction here. You've been, you know, as someone who's, who's worked at a lot of really cool brands and, and been in the industry for a really long time, what is something that you're most excited about when it comes to marketing and and digital and e-commerce today? Like you've, you've kind of seen a lot of stuff come and go you've seen a lot of stuff stay the same, you know, what in the last, you know, three to six months have you been like, wow, this is really, really cool. And and I'm excited about this.
1: I've been taken actually recently by, I think just where we're probably going to end up when it comes to like commitments around net zero and Mm. what that means, you know, how like digital, at large and even e-commerce like can play like a central role in, in sort of sort of having an impact in the world when it comes to like climate change and and sort of the companies making commitments to net zero mm-hmm. I, I mean I, i'm convinced we're going to see a lot of of disruption there i, I yeah. mean I, maybe I, i'm saying all this because I, I, I just picked up and sort of got most of the way through bill gates's book there yeah uh, and it's but it leaves you with a lot to think about when it comes to um like how much needs to change and and actually the appetite for change is is there but and how quickly things do change. So I actually think like it's the most interesting thing online of how quickly the tipping point can come to be. Yeah. And I mean, like you see it in in things sort of like like everything from kind of influencer marketing, like how central that digital experience is to like to bringing something to life mm-hmm. in, in a meaningful way. And I think um, I think it's going to be super exciting year. Like for anyone that's that's working in digital marketing, in e-commerce and digital commerce, and it's going to be very exciting years ahead because. Yeah. I think fundamentally there's going to be so many kind of systematic changes that need to happen across like distribution networks and you know, how, how we buy and sell things and a lot of it's going to hinge on like what that digital experience looks like.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess how also teams are structured, right? Like there are probably people sitting working in digital organizations right now where it's like you might be doing this today and you know, you've been a social media manager for 5 years, but like, you know, this is actually the way things are going and and teams, the way they're structured and organized could could change from that as well.
1: Completely and coming back to that people dimension, I think that's the most exciting part of like post-COVID is 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 how many, you know, employers are embracing sort of hybrid work models. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. everyone's been completely surprised by how productive we can be, you yeah. know, hanging around in board shorts and, and working from <laughs> home. And it's, you know, it's, it's remarkable, right? It, I think it's encouraging for people. I think it makes people think like things don't always have to stay the same.
0: I, I completely agree. And I, I think the thing that comes to mind there is, this idea of 4 day work week that's something that we're super bullish on and and you know we want to try and do that as a company in the next you know year here whereas i think they just did a study in iceland like a 5 year study or something where it was like they went down to a 4 day work week and the results were completely extreme. And I I think I read another thing in the New York times recently, just about how, you know, how it was Ford who like implemented the four day, the five day work week or like kind of kicked it off in the thirties or whatever. I could be completely misquoting this, but basically it was like in in the fifties is when in the U S they were like, it's a five day work week, 40 hours a week, like that sort of thing. And yeah. Yeah. Could we be kind of coming to that, you know, almost Renaissance moment again, where it's like, no, no, there's a fundamental shift where governments around the world leading companies are going to be like, Nope, it's going to go this way now.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think it will, the question is when I like, uh, it's, it's yeah. purely a question of when I think it feels like every Canadian read that Iceland, um, that, that, <laughs> that Iceland case study. look, the idea of productivity is like at the end of the day, I think everyone's way more in tune with their, like the whole kind of mind body thing. I think is just way more central conversation now. Right. And mm-hmm. people are way, way, way more self-aware of when their productivity falls off a cliff. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we outgrew the nine to five thing, probably over a decade ago, like, yeah. I mean, essentially once, once the smartphone became like the device that everyone uses to work on. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, you know, I I don't know a single person that doesn't get work things like after 5pm or before nine. And so it's everyone just realized you got to balance your life here. So
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think the 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 amount of, of that technology has helped, but both probably not helped uh, as well, where it's like, we are almost kind of available all the time. You know, it's like, Totally. The, the Slack notification that comes through at 6 p.m. when you're, you know, out for dinner and you're like, ah, oh, is this really, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm I'm torn, but I'm very. You got to get those notifications
1: turned people. off. Just turn off all your notifications. Simple.
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. Oh, sorry. I yeah. missed it. Um, <laughs> I want to do I want to do a bit of rapid fire here when it comes to to a brand that's not a brand that you've you've worked at, whose marketing you admire. What's a brand that stands out in your mind?
1: I mean, there, there's some is like some obvious ones. I think that are popular. I mean, I, I, I think Yeti's done a remarkable job of like mm-hmm. going after a really broad audience that you wouldn't normally think would like have shared values, but they made able to put them into into one tribe, which I think yeah. is actually quite remarkable. And you know, they're and they backed it with an incredibly strong product experience. Mm-hmm. That's a brand I can certainly relate to. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: you know, I think Rafa is incredible in the way that they've they created, they found a niche and kind of created a brand that is actually very kind of purposeful. I, I don't know if you followed any of that Alt Tour. Um, no, the, I didn't. The, you should go check this out, alttour.com. And it's, I think it was a Rafa athlete, but I mean, it's a great take on it. It was sort of a take on the Tour de France. And it was a guy that um, he, was, he was once, I think, a sponsored cyclist, I think Australian. And he, he decided to try to beat the Tour de France and, and ride every stage solo, including, oh, wow. including the legs between each stage and try and beat the Peloton to, to Paris and wow. he did it this, and he did it this year and, and he it was did such it, a did cool Rafa like kind of
0: rally yeah, around that and, and it and was
1: it, it was in the spirit of like the original tour de france which was like every guy for themselves and like yeah you got to yeah. fix your own bike and anyway i, I think Rafa's has done a remarkable job of being true to to like something very core that way you know there's a um i've been working as an advisory kind of role for a small business in vancouver they're kind of shifting gears is this, this local grocery business called nada
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um they're they're really neat they're they're a b cert company they've they figured out a way to remove single use packaging from the entire sort of supply chain in the grocery business. Wow. And um, they've they've had to navigate a bunch of things to like to pivot their business to, to e-com and, yeah. and they're kind of coming back. But I've been sort of really inspired by what that kind of local when you think like local community, like the impact that small businesses can have on a local community, mm-hmm. like stepping out of big brands. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been really actually it's been very eye-opening for me to to see how how quickly like a a small business can really have authentic roots in a local community. That was, that was kind of inspiring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think going back to just what you were saying about Yeti, I've always been fascinated by Yeti because their product is, is amazing, but it's not very sexy. They took like an unsexy product, like a cooler and just made it like this thing where people are dropping hundreds of dollars, myself included and being like, wow, like I would have never done that five years ago. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't have done that. And I got to go to their, um, their brand store in Austin um, when I was down there a few years ago, and I, oh, not like, I mean, it was literally like me walking in and just saying, "Take all my money." Like really is what it was like, they just had such great installations. You could create custom coolers like on the spot. So it was like, you could pick your colors of hinges and lids and whatever. And yeah, they actually had some really sweet installations just around like, oh, we put a bomb inside this cooler and blew it up and here's what it, what it actually looked like. And here's the cooler with like the burn marks and like the exploded things. And it's like, yeah, everything was still cool. Or like the bomb, like barely kind of like, it didn't actually leave the thing. And so, yeah, I think like a brand like that, where you can take something and that's not sexy and turn around and and you know kind of rally around to your point that tribe of people who you know outdoors is a huge space and and coolers are a big part of that space but nobody had really been like this is how we're going to make that that you know sexy or approachable or desirable yeah
1: and i love the way they've they've been able to do it in such a way that they've attracted like you know people that barbecue and people that fish and people that hunt and people that surf and people that climb mountains and mountain bike. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's kind of inclusive without even trying to be inclusive in a very kind of authentic way, which I think is, uh, it's very human that way. I've, I've, it's, it's been inspiring, I think. Yeah.
0: And hard to do, like totally. taking those communities and like putting those totally. together. Cause I think previously, you know, us as like marketing strategy, people would be like, oh yeah, there's the surfers, there's the barbecuers. Like we can't do that where they've been like, nope, it's an outdoor lifestyle. Yeah. These things all sit within outdoor. We're going to create stuff that touches all of these types of people and get yeah, them totally. fired up. So another big thing for for me, at least that I found in my career is, is reading and consuming information. What do you read or what do you listen to, to stay up to date on, on business and marketing? Who are you following? You know, what podcasts, what books, that sort of thing.
1: Definitely read. I I probably read more um, than, than I listen to podcasts. I, I, I have like a guilty pleasure of like loving music too much. So (laughs) with limited free time with like two kids, I find like, if I get a chance to put on headphones, I'm like, I'm probably going to listen to music. So (laughs) I probably shouldn't say that during a podcast, but I don't, my wife listens to, she must listen to three podcasts a day, but I'm, wow. I'm, I'm less of a podcast person. Um, yep. But um, there's always, I'm sort of always got my head in like two or three books and, and I'm kind of like, I, I tend to sort of, you know, start more books than I finish sometimes. Yeah. But like, yeah, like the, uh, the climate change, the Bill Gates book, I, I'm find, I I found that one pretty interesting. It's been a very kind of thought starter one. I wouldn't describe myself as sort of an early adopter. Yeah. So I've, I've generally taken the tact of like, I surround myself with actually people like yourself that are more like culture vultures <laughs> in this space that I can like, like honestly, cause it's, it's a great way to sort of like filter information and to bounce ideas off people. It's yeah. um, I'm, I'm better suited to like the some of the big picture yeah. kind of human psychology stuff. And, yeah. and, I like to let kind of like people I trust be some of the early adopter kind of sniff testers on things.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Always have a canary in the coal mine.
1: Totally. totally.
0: <laughs> okay. Last, last kind of big question here. What would be kind of your one piece of advice for, for marketing, digital or e-com people as, the, as they move ahead, you know, in a tail end of COVID or post COVID world? What's, what's one thing that, you know, a mindset uh, could be a quote. It could be something that you've learned or something that they should just remember. I mean i like if
1: you're kind of thinking like when I was young I didn't get much too much career advice when I was young you know I love like I know you're you're a Scott Galloway fan mm-hmm. um I always loved his his advice on sort of like like what to remember on career advice I love I love his quote on like the only the only people telling you to follow your passion are already rich yeah. you know and which I, which I thought is, it was so true. And I kind of looked back, I'm like, oh, you're right. Which doesn't mean like clearly, clearly, if you can make money following your passion, I mean, do it, right? Yeah. But the reality for most of us, though, is that like that idea of like this intersection point of like, what are you good at? What's something that doesn't suck? And what's something that p- people are willing to pay you to do? Like, if you can find the intersection of those three things, that's probably where you can add a ton of value in in your career. You know, like, I think it's good to pin your friends on, like, get your friends to, to tell you what you're really good at. and just milk milk your talents because it's it is incredible the opportunity out there right now um and i think i i I firmly believe that like i mean coming out of covid this it probably is the very best time to be starting a small business if you ever thought of starting one the need for talent people like without too much emotional baggage as employees at a company like the need for that level of talent right now has never been higher and the opportunity to you know to to work for companies that, you know, geographically you may not have been able to work for before. It's never been greater. So it's, I think it's pretty exciting times. I think people kind of staying focused on just like, where can they add value? I mean, that's, that's always, that's always been the best advice people have given me when I've started new careers. Look, try to find like in the first 60 days, go find somewhere to go add a ton of value. And it's, you know, one thing tends to lead to another.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I find that, yeah, if you just get in there and, and things just happen. It's weird. Yeah. Like there, there is, there is a dumb amount of luck. I feel like that goes into things. Yeah.
1: I, I think it's, and I think it's fair to like, it's fair to accept that like, yeah, luck, luck plays a role and it. it certainly played a role in my career. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very grateful for that.
0: Cool. Well, very, very final question. I'm sure there's probably some people listening out here who, who might have questions for you. What's the best place to find you online or how, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best place for people just to, to hit me up. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty good at, at, at uh, getting back to connections on, on LinkedIn. So
0: cool. Well, yeah. George, thank you so much for taking the time. I always appreciate talking to you and I definitely learned a lot and I'm sure everybody else did as well. So thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks Charlie. All the best.
0: For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.